Welcome to the Immigrant's Journey podcast. It's a space where we learn, grow, and share immigrant experiences in Ireland and abroad. Today, however, we're going to do something a little bit different. We usually interview foreign nationals, but as this is a space for learning and growing, we also want to learn about the Irish experience in Ireland. Today, we have with us the lovely, talented, and creatively ambitious Siobhan Scanlon, editor of Cracked Magazine, a digital monthly focus on bringing you exclusive interviews and insights from the experts. So today we're going to get stuck into it. We're going to talk about all things mental health, building your own business, growing up in Ireland as an Irish person. Siobhan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, who is she speaking about? <laughs> People are usually like surprised with the intros they like yeah. it, which is nice. It's nice to hear yourself described through somebody else's it perception. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be on. That's great. Um, so I usually like to get a little bit about people's background. So I'm going to ask you, where did you grow up in Ireland and what was it like then compared to how it is now? Um, okay, so I grew up in a place called County Meath, which is about 40, 45 minutes outside Dublin. Um, so grew up there. I'm from, I have three sisters, so family of six of us. And uh, my parents are from rural Ireland. So my dad's Mayo, my mom's Galway. So I feel like we were close to Dublin, but we were very much country at heart. Yes. <laughs> so um, we lived in the countryside as well. Um, we had one neighbour. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah. really remote. So it was actually a lot more remote than I kind of in, you know, when I reflect on it, I thought, oh, yeah, we're grand. We're not really that isolated. But actually, by comparison to where I live now, it was. Um, so what it was like then, it was, I mean, the, our house was really busy. Um, there was a lot of us. There was a lot of noise. We were all close in age. And um, yeah, I think it was, I feel like it was kind of a simple sort of straightforward-ish place to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what is it like now? Has it changed much? Um, I would say it hasn't changed a massive amount, but I don't live there full time. Um, my parents and my sister are there and my nieces and nephews, but it seems to be, I mean, it's got bigger and um, much, much bigger. There's tons of houses going up. There's like loads of new schools going up. So in terms of population, it's definitely got much bigger, but I would say it's pretty similar to how it is then or how it was then. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And what made you want to move to Dublin? So I was, let me think, I don't feel like it was ever a conscious decision. Like I grew up in kind of a smallish town, but I wouldn't say ever the ambition was I got to get out of here. Do you know, it was never really like that. But I studied in DCU and which was actually around, only around 20 minutes from home. And then in my, when I was doing my undergraduate, I had it we had an exchange program. So I went to the States for two years. And I think from there, just because I had that opportunity and was suddenly away and in another place with people and no parents, <laughs> that was kind of the start of my bug, I suppose, because from there I moved around quite a bit. Um, and now I'm back in Dublin and I have been for the last four years. But I would say for sure that coming back having been, having lived in different places, like you definitely have a different appreciation for being in Ireland and Irish people and culture. 
Well, sure. That's really good. What did you notice that was different when you were living abroad? And what did you want to get back to once you got back home? Um, I think the biggest thing, and I, I know a lot of people would say this, is the friendliness. So, like, I lived in London for five years, and um, which is, you know, I mean, it's as friendly as you make it, but I think naturally it's not... It's not Ireland. <laughs> it's not, put it that way. But um, so I remember I used to come home at Christmas or any time I came home and I was always a little taken by you might just get like a smile on the street or, you know, someone in a shop like, oh, hey, how are you? Just really overly friendly. And at first I kind of found myself going, oh, my God, what is wrong with them? Because <laughs> it really was, it did become kind of alien. And then by the time I was deciding to move home, I was like, oh, I miss that. So I really, really noticed that. And the other thing was, if you're out in like bars or even in the park, it was just very just natural to kind of strike up conversations, mostly about the weather. But, yes. <laughs> you know, general stuff. So, yeah, I would say there's just a real kind of openness and friendliness to that's in everyday sort of being that's that's sometimes missing out so you said you were studying in dcu were you studying psychology i wasn't no tell me about that transition and how your interest shifted to psychology so i actually went to dcu um many years ago and i studied uh, business at the time so i was my background is business and marketing marketing always and so i went from there and i worked in for various brands um, over the last, say, 10, 12 years, probably. So I've kind of gone between freelancing for myself and working for different brands. So um, I think I'd always had an interest in psychology. You know, even when I was going to do business, it definitely crossed my mind. But and maybe this goes back to the kind of small town thing. I didn't know any psychologists and I didn't really know what you could work what what the opportunities were in that so it was very much okay you become like a teacher a nurse a guard or you do business yes and um, so I didn't really think of that in hindsight I probably would have done design or something like that but it just wasn't really a consideration because at the time we just didn't know about it so um worked in marketing and I think then over the years I'd kind of I wasn't I wasn't really that passionate about it, as cliche as that sounds, but I I just always felt there was something missing. And then the last job I was in was like very, very high pressured um, global company, like really long hours, massive burnout rate. And I think that was kind of the straw that I was like, oh, God, it's, this just isn't for me. And I think when you know something really isn't for you, you almost, well, for me anyway, I kind of was like, okay, well then what is? Yeah. And because I always had an interest in psychology and psychotherapy, I thought, do you know what? I'm like, I felt like it was the time and it was kind of, it was a quick decision. I would say, I'd say I didn't think about it for very long at all. Actually within a week, within three weeks I'd started and um, was very much a kind of into the unknown Um and I just thought I'm just going to go for it and I would say the first year I'm in my second year now um, absolutely terrified me gave me such a fright um, in a good way but has completely changed my view of things and um, you know myself so yeah it's been really good 
yeah, I found the same experience that my view of myself and things has really changed as a, as a consequence of having this knowledge yeah. in your head. So what motivated you to start Cracked? So, um, Cracked, well, I've always like, I've worked in content marketing for a while. So that's kind of been like second nature to me. I love content. Uh, like consuming it, creating it, psychology is so much into design um, and obviously mental health and psychology. So it kind of just came about naturally and it wasn't always I'm going to create a magazine. It's going to be this way. It was I think I want to do a site and kind of digest down a lot of the theoretical stuff that I was coming across that really was mind blown to me. Um in a way that I just thought, my God, this information is golden. Like, how the hell have I never, yeah, really never come across it? And it was like simple kind of massive concepts that I just thought, God. And when you're learning it from, you know, like a lot of the theory, like the Freudian, Carl Jung, all this kind of stuff, it's quite inaccessible. Yeah. And um, so I just thought, I, I just didn't take it in, I think. And then when I suddenly was immersed in it, I just felt that there's a real... Um, lack of accessibility I suppose so the goal with Cracked was to start feeding out content that people could digest easily absolutely yeah. and it is exactly that like I've read so many articles on your yeah. online magazine I think it's absolutely brilliant Thank so you. definitely going to put links in the show notes so people can check that out because nice. it's exactly that it's understandable it's accessible it's mm-hmm. applicable. Yeah. and I think a lot of the psychology stuff can come off very theoretical yeah. and airy fairy and people just check out it's like no this is not for everyday stuff yeah. so it's brilliant to have that kind of resource yeah. out there and so I think the actionable thing is so that's something that I really do want to do because I feel I've done it for years you know you can read books you can take in all this information but unless there is some kind of action plan um, it kind of can just go in and out and yeah. then suddenly you're like oh oops yeah never really did anything about that so exactly yeah, So let me ask you, what is the biggest challenge that you've had in developing your business, your online magazine? Um, I think two things. (laughs) So from like a personal perspective, uh, it would be I'm quite historically quite a perfectionist so I would always put things off no no I'll do that again I'll do that again or if I know I'm going to launch the website everything has to be perfect until it launches rather than just okay I'm going to launch it bit by bit and it will be fine um or same on social media rather than just posting as I go I'd be like no I want to create loads of content so that it all looks really good together and it all makes sense and you're telling a journey and all this kind of stuff so I would say that just actually doing the stuff um, and not being too critical about it. Um, even with, you know, interviews, people I'm interviewing and trying to, you know, you know, write up things, you know, I could take probably more time than is necessary or, you know, just being hypercritical about things. So that was definitely something. And it has changed notably because I think when you are really trying to get something out there, you're just like, okay, actually, this is really important. It doesn't so much, the nuances don't always matter as much as we think they do. Yes. Um, What flipped that for you? What flipped that switch in your head of like, no, I can't let this go until it's perfect to like, no, it's good enough. Let's just move on with it. um, I think like I worked, the last two companies I worked in were family businesses and they both were very much 
let's do it, do it, do it. There was a real kind of go-getter attitude. And initially when I came in, I was like, I've worked in marketing. You're very much about the details, about the aesthetics. And I was just horrified by some of the stuff. But really, it kind of just came down to actually, I think you just got to get you know, if you're consistent in getting your message out there, people now are scanning, they're, they're consuming content differently to how they did years ago. So I think sometimes they just want something. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to feel like it's been this huge, big production. In fact, often it's just sometimes the more personable. There's actually somebody at the end of the phone writing that that kind of goes down a bit better. So um, I also did a lot of therapy. <laughs> And that helped because I kind of was like, you know, I was like, okay, why am I doing it? Where is that all coming from? And that was, you know, like fear. I mean, most of that is rooted in fear. So for me, it was fear of failure, fear of success, like all (laughs) kinds of, you know, underlying stuff that I suppose I'm kind of still working through that a lot of people probably deal with on an ongoing basis but I suppose before I started that I didn't really have the um I didn't really realize that there was something underlying it I just thought oh I'm kind of just a bit of a perfectionist and that's it but then I think when you understand that it's sabotaging opportunities or you know kind of things that you're doing yourself or getting in the way of achieving things then I kind of looked at it differently and it naturally sort of shifted a little that's really good I've had the same experience like not wanting to get going with things because it's not good enough Mm -hmm. but like for me that comes from my childhood my father being hypercritical and if you're not great at it straight away that means it's not meant for you move on to something else Mm -hmm. he never had a growth mindset or thinking about things like okay when you start something you're not going to be good at it because you're doing it for the first time and messing up and learning as you go along is part of the process and I think a lot of people who have had that kind of childhood experience of hypercritical parents Mm -hmm. they just stop themselves from doing stuff like oh no it's gonna be terrible nobody's gonna like this no it's not meant for me I don't have a talent for this I really don't think that there's any such thing as talent it's Mm -hmm. whatever you practice a lot and most people like enjoy what they're good at and so they do it more like the whole thing just kind of snowballs yeah so it's like get out of your own way and just do it yeah you're gonna you're gonna suck at first and that's okay yeah I think that the growth mindset thing is huge and I think often it's not until you're like older that you kind of go oh my god that's what that is yeah and you know you have people who go like I know so many people who just say flat out no no god no no I'm not creative and it's like like everybody really everybody is exactly Um, you're a human being that's part of the mental makeup yeah and it just kind of you know and I would definitely have had this these kind of beliefs as well you know a couple years ago I was like oh god no no I don't really do that or I'm not good at that or I'm not whatever I'm like super disorganized or you know these really firm this is me this is my makeup and it's like actually okay I am right now but i don't think I want to be in another year or two so kind of start but yeah that's yeah we're very flexible as creatures when we want to be Mm -hmm. but sometimes we stop ourselves just by our attitudes and what we say to ourselves but that's not the truth yeah because if we actually tried something repeatedly you do change your habits you do change your the way that you process things and behave Mm-hmm. Do you have a daily habit or practice that you feel really contributes to your success in life? Um, daily habits, <laughs> I wouldn't say they would be a strength of mine, 
but I realize the importance of them now more than ever. And, you know, I try, I definitely try and I have great intentions, but I would say that one thing that I have managed to kind of create over the last year is like I am by nature pretty chaotic um, in every sense of the word. And I hear you, sister. (laughs) (laughs) And if I don't have like some kind of structure or a list, I could literally be hopping from one thing to the next to the next. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, what did I do? I can't actually can't remember, but I know I had a good time. (laughs) Whereas, so I realized that was a thing. I just wasn't getting through the stuff I needed to get through. So um, I used like a like Asana it's like a project management tool is um, it like Trello? it's very similar to okay. that yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I find them super handy they're brilliant like and I don't there's so much functionality and again when it's kind of this huge big scary thing I'm like oh god almost allergic but I just break it down really simple top three things to do today move them up yeah. tick them off and I just feel okay whatever else I do is a bonus or not but if I can do these Throughout the day, at some time, I am fine. And I find with that, that I'm more effective in how I work because I'm like, okay, that's going to take me 20 minutes, right? I'm going to go and burrow for 20 minutes and then it's done. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So I kind of find that's probably something that's definitely helped over the last while. Yeah. Organization just kind of frees you up. And it gives you a bit of mental space, which is nice yes. and needed for us chaotic individuals. Marie can't, Marie can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> the life-changing magic of everything. <laughs> so let's talk a bit more about mental health. So there's so many different styles of therapies, and it seems like the HSC is really into preferring CBT over psychotherapy because there's definitive sessions and it, it's more measurable is what it is rather than long-term therapy. What's your take on that? And what's your recommendation for somebody who's pursuing or maybe considering going to see a therapist? Okay. So first I just want to clarify that I'm a trainee psychotherapist. So this is just my personal opinion based on the kind of information that I've read. Um, so I would say exactly what you said. So a lot of the, you know, kind of uh, bodies are recommending CBT or, um, I know on the continent, I think they're, they're recommended a lot of EMDR sessions for trauma work. Um, again, because as you said, it's measurable, it's short term therapy. It's very, you can kind of, you know, the results, there's like a timeline, I suppose. And by nature, they are much shorter. Um, with say uh, psych- different types of psychotherapy they're much longer um, I don't think there's really any way getting a- of getting around that um, so I-, I think it's when it comes to mental health and kind of um, solutions and recovery I think it's such a complex thing that it really really is an individual thing Um for me, for example, I've been doing psychotherapy for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's not a very enjoyable process much <laughs> of the time. It's really not. And it's frustrating and it's, you know, it's really tough. Um, but I find now, and I have tried quite a few different things. So I've tried um, CBT at different times. Um, I've tried a bit of EMDR um, and now I'm in psychotherapy. But I just think that 
I don't know, I guess there's all this pressure to get things done and resolved quite quickly. And I think, my God, you've spent like 30 years plus forming habits that you you just can't expect them to be kind of resolved overnight. So I think how I would look at them is if you really, really, really want to get to the root of something, I think there's no other way than a longer term um, solution like psychodynamic therapy or, you know, a talk therapy of sorts. I personally just don't think there's really another way, um, you know, to get that kind of self-awareness and understanding of where you came from um, so that your kind of habits, I guess, will can change off the back of that. I think if you're looking for something quicker and just a, okay, I want these results, you know, quickly, I need to be on form for this or whatever it is. I mean, I think CBT is also, it's a great therapy. It's, it absolutely has its place. But so I would say. It depends on what you're trying to achieve. Completely. And I think the optimal is that there would be an integrative approach because if you're talk, talk, talk and talk, and that's all good and well, you know, you can kind of come to conclusions about why you are the way you are, but you still have a lot of habits that are there. And I think that's where then CBT can help you change the cognition. Yeah, exactly. But sorry, that was a bit long. No, no, that's exactly what it's there for. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but I I really do think that um, it's longer term it's much longer than anybody wants to be, but I yeah. think, or at least I'm hoping that it's worth it. I think it's worth it as well. From my experience, I have found going to therapy so beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I think also being um, perseverant in terms of finding the right match for you, because you're not going to be a good match with every therapist, irrespective mm-hmm. of their experience. Just some people click and some people don't. Yeah. And it's no different yeah. when you're working with a mental health professional. Yeah. So if you've had a less than stellar experience I would recommend don't give up on it just find the right person for you and most places they give you a lot of background information on the therapist's experience and stuff Mm -hmm. so you can make a more informed decision yeah one of the barriers that um I've discovered talking to people is financial so there's my mind mental health center in with clinics in Dublin Cork Limerick online services which mm-hmm. I really like their online service because it suits my busy schedule mm-hmm. um, and they start with from 20 euros per session if you're unemployed or full-time student which is amazing mm-hmm. they are a social enterprise so they do get funding from all sorts of different places so they're able to offer the service but it's really really good but besides financial barriers what have you seen or noticed that kind of stops people from seeking the help that they need um, I think I think there's a few things. I think it's a really difficult process. Um, if you really want to go in there and kind of get to the root of things, it can be really, really difficult. And I think I think the time is a huge thing because it is so, so frustrating because you want to see these results and you don't and you kind of go up and down and it's good and it's bad and it's it's messy. So I think there's that can be very frustrating. I think the other thing is that when people start to maybe uncover certain things that at that point, and I've had this thought myself, I've thought, oh my God, it's like the matrix, the red or the blue pill. And yeah. it really is that that you go, oh my God, do I want to, do, do I want to go here and not know what is this going to open up or am I happy to kind of turn my head and, you know, not, yeah. and I realize that sounds dramatic, but I do think 
that that is a huge thing as well. Um, and the other thing that I would say um, is that like trust is, you know, can be such a big thing. So I think that sometimes people can instantly go, I don't like I don't like the therapist. OK, um, the reason a lot of talk therapies are so successful is because of the relationship that's built up with the therapist yeah. and the client. And I think if by nature you're maybe a little uh, un- mistrusting that you can instantly jump to a conclusion that that's the wrong person. Whereas actually sometimes they might just be the exact person that you need to push the buttons so that you kind of can figure out where your blind spots are, I suppose. And, yeah. um, you know, again, as I said, if you don't trust people easily, which is common with people who are seeking help um, that, y- you know, it's going to take time to build that with a therapist as well. Unless, you know, there is instant, so you can have instant vibe against somebody. And I would say absolutely trust your gut on that. But sometimes there is, oh, that kind of annoyed me or she's annoying me or he's doing this. But I would say where possible, just kind of tune into the relationship that you're building together. It's not, they're not there to tell you anything. Often a lot of the healing is in the relationship itself, which is why it takes so much time because it's not... I need to figure out this. I need to know how to do this. They're going to tell me this. It's actually you're learning to relate to someone again, to trust, to kind of um, heal those old fractures that maybe happened many years ago when somebody wasn't or didn't act in a way that you hoped. So the healing is in the relationship often. Absolutely. It's a collaboration. And it's exactly like you said, it's not them telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. It's them helping you think about things in a way that maybe you haven't thought about before and benefiting from their experience and knowledge as a person who talks to people about difficult things for a living, which you wouldn't have that kind of depth in a conversation with a regular person. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. So it's, it's really beneficial in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, something you said was mental health doesn't discriminate. Yes, it doesn't, does it? No, I think, um, I don't know, I guess this has been something like, look, this isn't groundbreaking, you know, as in we all, we know this, this is why you have people like Robin Williams and Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, celebrities who seemingly have it all that have, you know. I want to ask you something about Robin Williams, though, in particular, because he was diagnosed with Lewy body disease. And if I was diagnosed with Lewy body disease, I would seriously contemplate ending it because it is a terrible way to die. This like dementia coupled with Parkinson's. That's the way you go down. So was he really depressed? Did he have a mental illness or did he just see, oh my God, my inevitable death is going to be horrible. I'm going to go out on my own terms. Perhaps <laughs> the world will never know, yeah. but but yeah. When I I always thought that he because yeah, when it first really came, when it, when it first came out, um, I always thought that he was depressed or something and he mm. took his own life. But uh, one of his close friends, um, Bobcat Goldwith, went on the Joe Rogan show and he spoke extensively about Robin yeah, Williams that. towards the end of days and his okay. diagnosis with Louis Body. Wow. So, okay. I d- I actually didn't realize that. Yeah. And that does bring up a very valid point because, and, and, you know, I think you never really know, like, I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine like 
people who see, say, say in the, you know, who have reached huge success in showbiz or whatever it is, like, you know, that brings with it a, its whole other set of problems. problems. Yeah. Do you know? So it's fine for everybody to look and go, oh my God, but they have this, they have this, they have all the money in the world and they can have all the help. But like, if anything, I think, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't born, most of them, into those families. So you can't assume that their foundations are solid. Yeah. You know, and then suddenly they're catapulted into this huge, big, um, you know, stardom. And if anything, that's going to test your kind of foundations more than anything. So in one way, I'm not hugely, you know, it's not surprising because the pressures and the scrutiny and everything exactly. in itself is is chaos, like let alone if you've, you know, that doesn't even take into account your background. Exactly. So I guess that's kind of what what I'm talking about when I say it doesn't discriminate. Um, but I suppose you know when I say about about that specifically, um, I talk about you know kind of almost the because that that's an extreme as well. I'm almost talking as well about the kind of regular, and I say that in inverted comments because I think people always expect when it comes to mental. Um, illness or any kind of you know mental health issues that there's a, a real big story behind it and I think that often there is we all know that but sometimes there's actually not and sometimes it's just a series of kind of little traumas I yes. suppose accumulation of little things yeah that, that really build up and I talk about foundations, but I guess if these little things are happening and happening throughout your life, it can almost be quite confusing because you don't have that big moment to look at to kind of go, oh, well, this happened to me. So actually, maybe I should look into this. You can almost go, God, I just don't feel something's not right. But you kind of feel guilty because it's not right because you don't have a big moment that happens. And you think, am I imagining this? Is this just how everybody else feels? Um, whereas it can be almost a little more insidious that, you know, it's real relational stuff, I suppose, or, um, you know, there can be a lot of shame associated with that, that you just never really think to address because it doesn't feel like it should should. be that big of a deal. Yeah. You just feel like, oh, I should just get on with it. Like, what's my problem? But no, talking to others really, really can help. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what you were saying. Trauma isn't always obvious because sometimes yeah. it's the accumulation of small things over time. Absolutely. And that can be more insidious, can't it? Yeah, like, look, I mean, God, they're all, you know, and that that's the other thing. I think it, it doesn't matter how big or small it is or, you know, the person receiving it, whether it's their kind of innate sensitivity, whether it's where they're at in their life. I think the thing to consider is how the person receives that incident um, yeah. because even within a family, you can go, oh, well, we all went through that, but I'm fine. But yeah. what, how the hell does she, you know. Why is it a big deal to you? It's not a big deal to exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a, I don't know, I suppose that goes back to the point that it's so individual because it really is. Um, so, yeah, that's just my 10 cents on that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked also what you said about learning to enjoy the process. Yeah. Like if you're in a process of self-discovery through a therapeutic relationship, enjoy that because you're a complicated creature you're more than you can handle as jordan b peterson likes to say yeah. and uh it, it can be fun figuring mm-hmm. yourself out 
It can. But I would say, and again, I can only speak from personal experience, like I really did not find it fun for a long time um, <laughs> at all. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to go here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to whatever. Really, I just didn't want to, I, I suppose I didn't just want to feel whatever it was I'd yeah. locked away. But um, I do think when you get to a point where, and I feel like I'm at that now, it does feel like a collaboration you know, you can go in and put a therapist on a kind of pedestal, I suppose, and expect them to tell you, but that's really not what it's about. So as you say, I think when you do get to that point or, and, and is the same with everything, like, you know, even with work or hobbies or whatever it is, family, friends, relationships, we can be in such a hurry to rush things along. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to work this because I want to have this done or like, when I set up Cracked initially, I was like, okay, I'm going to set this up because I want to do, you know, this and in a year's time, it's going to be this and this. And then I was like, God, that's a year away. And if I'm kind of wishing it away just to get to that point, it's the actual doing kind of takes second place. And you're like, God, actually, I don't really have it that much to show because I've been so fixated on getting to the end goal. So, uh, and it's more fun when you actually enjoy it and put your kind of day to day into things. So, let me ask you, when you were going through the difficult part, portion of therapy, yeah. do you, did you find that the fear of doing the uncovering work was actually worse than when you exposed yourself to certain aspects of yourself? Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And in hindsight, yeah, it was. The fear was worse. Yes. I think that's true for a lot of people. It certainly was for me. Yes. I think as well, I think it, again, it, it depends on your individual defenses. So for me, for example, I was very much like kind of avoidant about a certain thing. So I I would not even let myself go there to the point where you kind of end up dancing around things and I would just not even consider it as an issue. Right. So say, for example, it could be about me and my habits and maybe how my behavior has contributed to where I am but I guess I wasn't ready to take responsibility for that so instead I would focus on something that I've been talking about for the last three or four months that (laughs) felt a bit more comfortable and then suddenly I was like oh my god that's it I kind of realized avoiding that was my way of dealing with it I suppose so again you'll have I think that seems to be a pretty common one or like distractions, you know, so you jump from one thing to the next or, but uh, certainly that was my experience. It was the unknown that was like, whether it was was the worst part. It totally was. Yeah. And and didn't even realize it at the time. It was just, I I don't know, block. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about the resources that we have available in this country in order to start dealing with ourselves? There's this great quote from one of my friends' podcasts, Waking Up to Real Love, where one of her guests said, it's not your fault that you're messed up, but it is your responsibility to deal with it. And I think that's great. (laughs) I have heard that and I love it. Um, And I would say there's a lot of great resources out there. Um, But I think, you know, we all know that were there's not enough I guess um particularly now because you have you know it's not new that people in the country that all over the world have issues with their mental health but I suppose there's so much emphasis on it at the moment um because of the media I think but also because of the way we live today has had a huge impact I think on everyone's mental health so a combination of us being more aware of it and 
our lifestyles, I think, are contributing to that. Um, so everyone kind of, I guess, is suddenly thinking, oh, I probably need to go to therapy or whatever it is. Um, and it is, as I said, it's so expensive and time consuming and there's not enough therapists out there really like. Um, so I think I can't speak of specific kind of health services available. I'm, I guess I'm more thinking of like private practices and kind of the number of therapists out there and the cost as well, which is yeah. crazy. But, you know, I think even to to train to be a therapist and everybody wants a cheaper, like everybody wants more, I guess, more support, which we absolutely need. Um, and I know that Brezzi does a lot of, you know, he's talked a lot about the services. I don't, I, I don't have that knowledge right now. Um, but I think that, you know, I guess there's a lot of great charities that are doing like drop-ins and, you know, even in the, the colleges and stuff, there's people to talk to, yeah, but there's loads. loads of stuff, but there's just not enough, I guess, people to support in terms of actual helping. It's like there's information available, there's services, broadly services, but yeah, I guess it's. Yeah, that, that's why I like to talk about My Mind Mental Health uh, Center in the podcast yeah. so often because they are so accessible. It is yeah. a self-referral service, so you don't even need to go through a GP. So a lot of people, if they've been through with a GP for their whole life, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of like, he's part of the family. I don't want him to know I'm going through this. Yeah. I don't want him to refer me to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like you want that bit of separation. So yeah. My Mind is great for that. Um, you guys can find them on the internet to mymind.org and you yeah. can go through the list of all of their psychotherapists and all different locations mm-hmm. which ones offer services online i i can't talk enough about it because i think it's super super important for people who are in the lower income bracket to know yeah. that there is help out there mm-hmm. and so that's my two cents on that no no it's great <laughs> and i would say from uh like from a digital point of view there is i know there's online counseling services again similar to that they're at a reduced Right. But I know there's also a couple of like CBT bots. Okay. okay? I know. I see your face. I had the, <laughs> I, I had the exact same thing. I was like, no, it's so impersonal. It's so whatever. But I actually did a review on one of them, which is called Wiza. Okay. And there's another one that was developed by now I want to say it's two um, Cambridge graduates, psychologists, psychology graduates. Um, and they've basically created a bot that you check in with. Right? And again, I was so skeptical about it because naturally I'm like, oh, for God's sake, you know, we're humans. This is so robotic. It's just not going to work. But I probably so say, for example, right, you could you might get a little notification at like 8 p.m. at night. Hey, how was your day? OK, and you'll go and it feels really strange at, the, at first. So I was like, oh, actually, it wasn't great. I didn't have a great day. So you text back to the robot. Yeah, okay. it's like a live chat on okay. the feed. And like even things like they'll um, or, or they'll suggest replies. So you don't even really have to think about it. Okay. But I have to say that there, I don't think there was. Now, I did it for maybe three or four days, but it sometimes made me smile. There was, I could see that some of the points in like, so say for example, I would say, oh, I did terrible in a presentation today. Yeah. Uh, 
oh, re- oh, really, you know, tell me about that. And I could say, I just can't speak in front of people. And the bot might go, is that a general question? Can you really not speak in front of ev- any people? So it would just challenge those little things. And I just... That's pretty good, actually. Honestly, it was a real casual way. Like, I wouldn't say, you know, ditch everything else you're doing, download this app. But I was really pleasantly surprised because it was simple kind of just challenging your thoughts that I thought, yeah, actually, that's... You know, it was it was unexpected. That's what we need sometimes, I think, to challenge our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And usually our friends and family won't because they're used to us. They're used to our excuses and yeah. our resistance. And they're just like, I can't be arsed. Totally. <laughs> so maybe a robot is the yeah, answer yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so what's the name of this? Is it an app? Uh, yeah, so there's Wiza, which is... Uh, I think it's wiser.io, but there's it's W-Y-S-A. Um, just Google that. There'll be loads yeah. of stuff. The other one, which I think is really cute, is Wobot. Wobot. Um, W-O-E-B-O-T. And it's like kind of blue and yellow branding. Again, loads of videos on it and you can download the app free. Oh, that's them. cool. I'll put links in the show notes to that. I never heard yeah. of it, so yeah. it's nice. I like okay. to get all the little different resources and see what mm-hmm. works because get help wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you now, um, what do you wish you had known when you started down the road of finding your career and your kind of like life trajectory that you're on now? What do you wish you had known back then that you know now? Um, I wish, firstly, I haven't really found my trajectory. <laughs> but no, I wish back then that I that I knew that things were always going to change and that's fine. Um, when I left school and college, you know, there was this, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this or I have to stay in this. I hate this job, but I'm going to stay there because I don't want to leave because it looks bad on my CV. And you know, all that kind of stuff. Or if, for example, I didn't do well in a subject or whatever it was, or just actually spending my time doing something I really didn't like because I thought that's what I have to do because I want to do marketing and whatever. But I guess what I wish I knew now is that things change all the time Um, your interests will probably change many times. I would say in your 20s, get as much experience as you possibly can so that you just get exposure to um, as many things as possible. And I would say if you can find a good mentor, which I never did, actually, and I really wish I had. It's never too late. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It is. But I feel like if you get that early on in your career, it's like a really, I, I think it's a really good advantage. It kind of can set you up for a lot of things. Um, but I would say not to put too much pressure or emphasis on any single thing because people switch and change. And I think once you put your mind to something, really put your mind to things can happen so quickly that you kind of can think, oh God, what was I worrying about? Yeah. You know, if you kind of get clear about what you want and and you're willing to really work for it and go for it, then I think things can shift quickly if you're willing to work hard. Absolutely. And I think one of the things with exposing yourself to a lot of different things is learning what you don't like. Yes. Because sometimes you don't know until you're in it. That's that's so true. Weeding out the nose. Yes. (laughs) And, And the other thing I would say actually is, um, like, especially coming out of college, you know, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have your exams behind you and, you know, all that jazz. But I would say some of the, you know, I've worked with some brilliant, brilliant people who weren't, say, so academic, but they were 
amazing with people. And I think that's a skill that can be really underestimated when you're younger, because I mean, I would just look at certain people in companies and think, how, oh my God, they just, when you get on with people, I'm talking in a business sense, but like at the end of the day, you work with teams, you need people to do stuff for you, you need to do stuff for people. And when you have the, those positive relationships, it opens up so much opportunity for you. People do stuff for you because they like you yeah. or don't. Yes, exactly. We're <laughs> you know, yeah. And, you know, people, it's just, I think it's often it's, there's not that many people who really kind of help others. So I think it can really make you stand out and definitely don't underestimate it because that's a skill in itself. That is some wonderful advice, Siobhan. And I think we are going to end it here because that was really, really great. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And you can find Siobhan's work at um, cracked.io, not.com. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. And until the next journey, bye.